Okay, here we go. Good morning, guys. Go to Daddy, please. This is always a fun moment of transition as kids run around. Are you gonna stay up here with me or are you gonna go with daddy? You can stay with, that's fine. That's cool. Thank you, wonderful. We're just rolling. <laughs> Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, my name's Haley. Uh, and I get to be up here again with you today to give you just like a sneak preview of the key findings, the key themes that we heard in the congregational meetings, and also a sense of how we um, plan to act based on them in the next couple of weeks. Um, but first, I want to reiterate something I said last week, which is just thank you. Thank you so much for your engagement. Thank you so much for coming to the congregational meetings, for filling out the survey, for the one-on-one -on -one meetings that we've had the opportunity to have with many of you over the last couple of weeks. It has been um, just a real encouragement to us and really valuable to us to be in that type of community with you. We're really grateful. Um, so Daniel Dibdahl is going to be here up here next week to really go through the key findings that we heard that came out of those conversations. Um, and we're going to have like an actual paper report <laughs> to give you guys so you know that we heard you. Um, but I get the, the joy this morning of just like doing a little bit on that, like giving you a, a sneak peek of that. Um, so I will do that now. Um, you all identified Central Vineyard in your comments about our church as a place that is welcoming, that is authentic, and that is centered in a theology of love. And I loved hearing that. It, it resonates with me about this place. When it comes to opportunities to grow in this next season of our church's life, some of the things we heard um, is that many of you would like some additional clarity about who is in leadership at Central Vineyard beyond the canals um, and how big decisions at the church get made. Um, and those opportunities resonate with me as well. And so we're going to take the next couple of weeks here and do a little bit on that. <laughs> um, those of us who serve on the board and on the staff are going to sort of introduce ourselves and our role um, and just like provide a little bit more clarity about who we are. Um, and I pray that that provides a little bit more clarity in the process as well. Speaking of the process, I believe we still have handouts back there. We have handouts back there on that connect table behind the plexiglass um, that do the big, that outline sort of the big bullet points of this transition process. Um, two key dates I want you to know, though, um, from my mouth right now. One is next week, Sunday the 27th. Like I said, Daniel Dibdahl will be sitting right here and he will be walking through the key findings from those congregation meetings and we'll have like another report piece of paper to hand out then. And then on September 17th, um, several of us may be up here again as well, um, providing um, an update on the transition plan and next steps of the process through the fall. One thing I'll say to you, the old adage holds true. Um, we are building the plane while we're flying it. 
and we will do um, our very best to keep you informed and engaged along the way. So those are two dates to keep in mind, next Sunday the 27th and then September 17th. I would love to have Kevin Essex and Rachel and Luis Santion come up and hang out with me. We're gonna go first, <laughs> introducing ourselves. I wanna make space for you guys. Um, and since I'm holding the mic, I guess I'll go first. Um, so my name's Haley Aka. Um, my husband, ABG, and I have been attending Central Vineyard since 2016, um, and we love the community and the connection that we have found here. Um, we moved to Clintonville in 2020 um, from the short north and have absolutely loved that. And in that time, we have welcomed two kiddos into our family, um, our three-year-old Anderson and our five-month-old Davis. Um, for work, I am on the leadership team of a public policy research institute. And what that means is that we do a lot of digging into the research literature, analyzing data, um, and doing a lot of sort of focus group and advisory group facilitation to, the end goal is to inform our public policymakers, our state legislature, and our executive branch leadership about what works to improve health and to achieve equity in our state. Um, so that's what I do 40 hours a week, and it has been truly so fun and my joy to use some of those skills to serve the church, um, like doing those congregational meetings was just very fun for me. Um, I joined the board of Central Vineyard Church this year um, when Jeff and others wanted to expand capacity of the board during this transition phase. So I am fairly new to the board, and what I'll say is I didn't know a lot about the church board until I was on the church board, and so I'll just tell you a little bit about what I've learned. I have learned that we have had a church board since the founding of the church. It has always existed, and its primary functions are pretty behind the scenes. They are to support and advise the lead pastor, um, and there's some executive administrative functions like approving the annual budget. Um, and there are just a few moments, a few opportunities um, in our church's life where the board sort of like has a more upfront role. And one of those times is when there's a transition in the lead pastor. And so here we are. <laughs> That's why you're seeing us. That's why we're out here talking with you in this capacity. Uh, but what I want you to know about me is that, like, I am you. Like, I'm just, I'm also in the <laughs> congregation, and I'm just um, getting the opportunity to volunteer and serve in this capacity, and I'm appreciating the opportunity to do so in this tender time in our church. All right. Thank you, Haley. Yes, yeah, so um, I took some bullet points that I'm going to refer to because, you know, it's always nerve-wracking getting up in front of people. So if you don't mind me looking at my phone from time to time. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Kevin Essex, and I'm also on the board of the church. And I actually had to look back and think about how long we've been attending Central Vineyard because I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people who just tends to forget things and just <laughs> goes with the flow and forgets and then thinks, oh, wow, we really have been here a long time. So Ellen and I started attending Central Vineyard 13 years ago. I can't believe it's that long ago in, in 2010. And that was before we had any kids. We didn't have Sean. We didn't have Elizabeth. Um, and we were just a, a newly married couple and uh, coming to a, a church that we hadn't been to before. 
And just a little bit about that. Um, so we came to CV in sort of a unique way, and I just wanted to briefly kind of tell that story. So we had been attending Vineyard Columbus before that, the one in, uh, in Westerville. And at the time, we were living in an apartment more towards like the west side of the Ohio State campus um, in that area. Like there's a little Kroger's there on Northwest Boulevard, if you guys know that uh, area. Anyway, we were, we were right there. And it was a long, long drive to drive up to Westerville. And we found ourselves as we started getting involved with things at Vineyard Columbus, we loved it there. We really loved the, um, just the, I guess you could say the ethos of Vineyard, just the um, example set by, at the time, it was Rich Nathan, who was the pastor there, and just the humility and the, the love for serving the poor, the love for um, just communicating to people that everyone who comes to church gets to have a part in God's kingdom, and everyone gets to play, and we love that. However, driving 30 minutes to church every Sunday, 30 minutes back, serving in things um, like we started serving in the, the uh, children's ministry, and so we would attend one service, then go to the next service to be in children's ministry, and then essentially spend almost half our day <laughs> up in Westerville. Um, and we decided um, that maybe we wanted to look at something closer to where we lived. We knew that we, we planned on living um, more towards like the OSU area. Ellen works for the Ohio State Medical Center, and so we wanted to, to live somewhere near, near where her work was and everything. Um, and so we actually heard Jeff Cannell speak at an event at, uh, at Vineyard Columbus. It was um, like a Holy Spirit prayer night sort of thing, and Jeff had, had been a guest speaker there. He came there, and Ellen and I were just super impressed. Um, he was not at all like many of the Vineyard Columbus pastors who, I mean, they have humility, uh, but they are more polished, I guess I would say. And you might be surprised with that impressing us, but what we were so impressed with was Jeff's down-to-earthness and his, his humility, his ability to get up in front of people, and he didn't have to get all dressed up and everything. I think I think you may have even worn a t-shirt and jeans up on stage at Vineyard Columbus and it was just so so refreshing honestly. It was like he was very authentic and very um, appealing and I think he even mentioned something about struggles with mental illness and that was just so brave and so um, inspiring to us just to know that, that that could be something that someone could talk about from up front and we were just so encouraged by that. So for a little bit, we didn't necessarily want to make a move. We loved Vineyard Columbus. But while we were there, um, Jeff had passed out these worship CDs, which were actually um, these blue CDs that, that had worship music that had been recorded from Central Vineyard. And I played it over and over in my car. And I, then, then one time I looked at the back of it and it, was, and it was like, what was the name of that church? And I looked at it and then I, I Googled where Central Vineyard was, found out it was in Clintonville, which really isn't that far from the Ohio State campus area. And so we decided to start checking out Central Vineyard. And we came here and we just felt so at home. And so we started in 2010 coming here. We've been at Central Vineyard um, through many transitions. And I, I mean, I'm the first to admit Central Vineyard's not a perfect church, but we weren't looking for a perfect church because I'm not a perfect person. And I know that, that really coming to a church where it models God's love, uh, I love how Central Vineyard just says, like, God loves you 
and that's the most important thing if you don't hear anything else. I loved that, hearing that, and just hearing the fact that, like, this could be a place where you could be a part of a family, and just like any other family, it's messy sometimes. Um, our strong point is not structure necessarily um, or organization, but our strong point is humility and love, and I love that. I love the family aspect of it. So then looking back, um, I was actually asked to be a part of the board. I remember it was shortly before COVID. And looking at that, it was actually like, I think January or February of 2020. Um, a lot happened in the next few months, if you remember. <laughs> um, but we did have, I remember our first meeting and I didn't know exactly what, what being on the board would entail. And I didn't know necessarily that I was qualified. Um, I, I don't really, I guess, think that I'm that <laughs> qualified to do something like that. Um, I've always seen myself as someone that's more of a support person. Uh, maybe my strengths are encouraging, being the second, second in line person, or a third in line, fourth in line, fifth in line, but not necessarily someone who wants to ever be like the guy. Um, and of course, that's not what you do on the board. But I learned a lot that essentially it's, it's a support role. We, we're there to be able to support um, whoever's in leadership, to get together to pray, um, to get together to be a support to Adrian and to Jeff and to the other people who are pastors and staff, and that we were able to listen to challenges and listen to things that were happening in the church, things that we could pray for, things that we could offer um, suggestions on. And then there were other duties as well that, um, not to say that, say that the board wasn't active and important, it was. And I feel like we were doing the important things of, of the prayer, um, but we were doing things approving budgets, um, of talking about expenditures, talking about staff changes, all of that. And it was, it, and it has been just great to be a part of the board. Um, it's not anything, I guess, like you would think of, like a formal sort of, um, like, if you think of bureaucracy in some churches, not like that. And I, it's very refreshing in many ways. Um, there are f formal things that we, we do, and especially in this time, that's, uh, we've, we've learned that one of the roles that, that we are playing is taking a part in the transition process of, of Jeff retiring. And it's, it's definitely been a more active role since then. So I've seen being on the board transform to maybe meeting every, every quarter or so, to, or maybe sometimes more frequently, sometimes less, to being sometimes meeting multiple times a week, um, keeping in touch. And it's been great, honestly, because my job, I've never felt like, I, I work right now in financial services um, for a company, and it's never been like my passion. <laughs> and I feel like working on the board, actually, I can do more of what is my passion and use more of my gifts. And it's, it's been a great privilege. Um, and I just, I look forward to, to really doing more in this process. We do really want everyone's, um, everyone's uh, opinions, everyone's um, feedback. We, we want to do this process in a way that's transparent and respectful to everybody. So I would love to, talk with anyone. If you want to email me, set up a time to do, um, to do a phone call, I'd be happy to talk to anybody and um, even just hang out. I, I need more friends. I'd love to have more friends. Um, it's easy when you get to be someone with kids to just not have, have a bunch of friends. So anyone who wants to play some board games sometime, watch Star Wars movies sometime, um, all the nerdy things, I'd love to do it. <laughs> so. All right. Good morning, everyone. I know most of you. 
but my name's Rachel. I'm a pastor here. Welcome to all of our friends who are returning and everything. Um, I just want to say that, backtrack a little bit. Haley nudged me, and she's like, can you mention this? Um, this is us. Like, we're really grateful for the opportunity to come forward to you guys in humility, realizing that we jumped the gun a little bit, and thank you for the clarity that you expressed to us of wanting to know the staff and the board, because your voices are so important to us, and we want to know you just as much as you want to know us. So this is us doing that. So thank you for, for your patience with us as we go through transitions and everything. Um, so like I said, my name is Rachel. I'm a pastor here. Um, I'm going to make this a little quick. But uh, I'm really grateful to be a part of CV. I've been here since about 2019. I started to attend. And the way that I found CV was like the weirdest like just so many different random circumstances that had to come together for me to be here. And one of those being is Ian, Jeff, and Adrian's son was roommates with my husband in Minnesota who is from Mexico that I met in Mexico. It's just, it's a whole long story. I'll tell you another time. But point being is it was a crazy mix of situations that brought us here. And when Luis and I attended for the first time, um, when both of us walked through the door, we just felt like God was saying to us that he was going to make this place a home to us, which was very weird. I didn't even live in Columbus. And then I made my way here. And now I'm on staff. And it's just been a really beautiful feeling of embrace of me during this whole time. I'm so grateful for the way that the church has embraced Luis and I for so long through our immigration process. Like, the hardest periods of my life have been spent in community at CV, even when I wasn't physically here. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, so my role on staff is I do a lot of pastoral care. So I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations. We do a lot of meals with people, which is my favorite thing. Like, how is that my job? Like, <laughs> spending time with people and feeling loved by people and getting to love people, it's really incredible. Um, I also am in charge of communications. So emails, Facebook, um, what's it called, Instagram. Announcements. I couldn't think of the word for announcements. Um, so all of that stuff. So if anybody needs any communication needs, please come to me. Um, I do preaching sometimes. I like to dabble in the preaching department. And another thing, too, since we're younger pastors, we're doing a lot of um, just growth, like spiritual growth. We're doing a lot of weaving sustainable rhythms into our own life so we can share that with you guys. Um, so that includes like continued learning and development with spiritual direction, emotionally focused, uh, seminary now, stuff like that. So we're really grateful to be a part of this community and to grow in this community. Good morning. I'm Luis. I do have to say that. Have you, did you ever watch Pulp Fiction? Yes. Pulp Fiction. And like they had the chest that uh, John Travolta and uh, Sam, uh, Samuel uh, Jackson opened and you never saw what it had inside. When I saw that, I, it was like an itching in my head and I was like, I need, I need to see that. Anyway, uh, I do a lot of worship things here for Central Vineyard. I, I found Central Vineyard because of Ian Cannell. Um, uh, years ago, I did this little discipleship uh, course uh, in Minnesota, and uh, Ian was my roommate, so my first interaction with the Canals, well, well, with Jeff, it was uh, was me thinking, oh my goodness, I hope that's not my, it's my roommate. 
Ian, which ended up being a fantastic time. Right away, Jeff uh, embraced me and said, hey, do you need a sweatshirt? I'm coming from a 90 degree on a good day kind of weather <laughs> to Minnesota, northern Minnesota, which is like 40 degree on a good day kind of weather. And Jeff was like, hey, here's a hoodie. So I was like, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so first time I attended Central, Central Vineyard was in 2018. Yeah. Yes, 2018. We came to Columbus, we were going to a wedding, and so happened it was gonna be Sunday morning, and we thought, let's go visit Ian. I wanna see Ian and Ian's parents. And we walked in through the doors, we didn't talk to anyone, nothing. We just walked in through the doors, and we felt an overwhelming feeling of uh, embrace. Um, and just as Kevin said it, it's, it's not a polished church, it's more of a matte finish. Uh, <laughs> Which is, I mean, we don't need to put a facade. We can just be ourselves. Uh, we hurt, we're angry, we're everything, and we can still show up and be loved, be embraced. That was the feeling that I had walking in through those doors specifically. Um, what else? I have been on staff for the past year and a half-ish. I started with uh, mostly worship and tech stuff, and it evolved for nearly the past year into doing things with One Good Home. Uh, I get to hang out with the residents of our Aberdeen house and get to uh, care for them in ways uh, that I've, I've, I've loved, really. Um, getting to know these, these two dudes, it's, it's been great. And um, right now, I'm currently learning a bunch of what's happening in the background of, of church stuff. Uh, it's not that great, it's not that fun. It involves a lot of uh, reading documents. <laughs> but I don't know, I, I found some odd interest in that. But anyway, Luis, I would love to meet you if I haven't. That's it. We love you guys. Precious people. Uh, Welcome, treasure hunting. Has anyone watching those treasure hunting shows? Any of those like this, what's, what's the, the Curse of Oak Island? Uh, it's been running since 2014. Now they have another show beyond Oak Island and they haven't even found the treasure yet, but everyone wants to watch it. Uh, how many of you grew up watching National Treasure or my vintage Raiders of the Lost Ark or Indian Jones, The Last Crusade or was entranced by the search for the Holy Grail? Well, uh, being a somewhat neurodivergent person myself, I've been a treasure hunter at heart, where a lot of my peers and stuff would really love the pursuit of athletic excellence. Just the way I'm wired, that wasn't really an option. But I found myself really getting into comic books, uh, you know, before there was the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I discovered something called the Overstreet Price Guide of Comic Books, 1983 edition. And I'm like, this is interesting. And I learned about all the comic books since 1938. I actually read through it. It was like a telephone directory, every page, several times. And they would have pictures of these Holy Grail comic books that you could never find. Or it was like, you know, what's it? Action Comics number one, I recently sold for $1.6 million, right? You know, I mean, it's just insane stuff you could never find. But I got to know, like, oh, out of the sea of garbage, this one thing is a treasure. 
I didn't realize that that obsessive compulsive thing meets uh, flea markets and junk shops and used bookstores might be profitable one day. And I discovered uh, when I could go to a flea market and they would have some guy, four comics for a dollar, six boxes, I could go through it rapidly and find two treasures. And then I would have to somehow hustle $2.50 for my dad. Sometimes that was successful, sometimes it wasn't to get these things. He said, no, it's really worth a lot. It's worth a lot. And he's like, really, really? And eventually I took my dad to a comic convention. He goes, oh, really, really? These are worth something. But um, I remember early in my marriage, and by the way, this ended up causing problems in my life somewhat because I have an archive. Because anything I got interested in, I'd become obsessively interested in. Find out later I actually do have a form of obsessive compulsive disorder. And one of those things, like, if I like a band, if there's a band I like, well, I need every 45 single, every pressing of the album that happened in the UK. Uh, you would appreciate this, Tim. There was a band called The Alarm. They had this uh, album change I really liked. I found out, oh, they recorded a version in Welsh for all the 12 Welsh speakers in the world. I think it was <laughs> Nepid or whatever. And I finally found that after going to how many records shows, found a Welsh pressing of the Welsh version of this album. So. Many of you have received albums or comics or books from me recently. That's part of me trying to go in the decollection phase. Eventually, though, I remember early on we planned my church, our, the, our church, and we got rid of a lot of my comics because we, we had accrued some consumer debt. And eBay is a thing. So I remember going through and started, like, eventually sold enough comics to pay down our credit cards. And so God, God actually used that treasure to unlock a greater treasure of freedom from the man in a lot of uh, areas. But I remember uh, early in our marriage, there was back when junk shops were viable, you know, before everything was a cell, a, a cell phone store or a pawn shop or payday lenders, there's actually junk shops on Hudson Street and stuff. And I remember going to one in particular. And it was literally one of these things where not oh, you would just trip and fall and die if you went on anything. And I remember going through stuff. Whenever I see a stack of old magazines, I'm like, there might be treasure in there. I'm going through it, and I find all these 10-cent comic books. And they were kind of tatty and stuff. I got them up. I said, uh, what about these? And she goes, you know, well, I know comic books are about $2 now, so I'll give them to you for a buck a piece. I didn't really have time to go through them, but I said, well, these are from the 50s, right? Went through them all. Uh, oh, I actually had to go home and do some, you know, diving for change and stuff like that. This place didn't accept any credit cards. It was just old stuff. Go looking for money, hassling Adrian for any dollar she had on her. And I got enough to buy, like, half of the pile, all right, that I, that I had, because we weren't going to ATM it or anything like that. So I got about half the pile. Looked in and found, wow, this is the first published artwork of noted fantasy artist Frank Frazetta, $700 book. Here, here, here. And I was like, wow. And I'm like, this was my, the grail, the treasure, because I, I knew the price guide. And, uh, but that idea of like the thrill of the hunt, we found out that, you know, dopamine is released in the hunt. And dopamine is that, uh, chemical that the human, beautiful humans release when you're trying to get something, the thrill of the hunt, the thrill of going to an antique store, the thrill of, I mean, is there any uh, antique roadshow watchers here that just always try to guess how much is that painting? Like, I, uh, I was with a friend yesterday I haven't seen in a while, and we went to uh, Flower Child Furniture, and he was telling me 
every single furniture maker from the mod 60s and 70s that made each piece and how much it's really worth and blah, blah, blah. But there's a thing that happens is a lot of times the thrill of the hunt, when you actually get the thing, there's the letdown factor. Because the thrill of acquisition isn't greater than the thrill of looking to acquire. And there's a whole book in the Bible about this called Ecclesiastes, about, you know, chasing after the wind. And what happens a lot of times is people pursue something that in the end doesn't make them happy. My question is, have you ever seen a happy politician? Have you ever seen a happy politician? Have you, I mean, I, I look at these things and I wouldn't wish, like, the presidency on my worst enemy, because they seem to be oftentimes the people who go through the most misery. You know, I've, noticed, I've never seen someone on their quest for power get happy. I've never seen, uh, I know, climbing different ladders, climbing the ladder of academia. You know, everyone's running after tenure. You're running after a book contract. You're running this. But at the end, I've never seen someone where they've actually gotten to the point where they said, achievement unlock, life is grand. Uh, I've seen, you know, whether it's power, prestige, you know, the people, you know, a lot of people who feel like romance or intimacy is unacquirable will look at people that seem to be so socially attractive and everyone likes them, think if I was just like them, I'd be happy, but not realizing those people aren't very happy either. So uh, the dopamine release of acquisition doesn't equal the dopamine of pursuit. So when Jesus tells parables in uh, Matthew 13, Parables are tricky things because you can go too far with a parable. If you try to find the symbolic meaning of every noun, verb, and adjective in a parable, you're going to go off into some esoteric land of missing the point. Most parables have one point. You know, Jesus begins his parable saying, the kingdom of God is like this. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is exactly represented by this flawless metaphor. It's kind of like this. So you can read it as like or kind of like. It's similar to saying at the end of some truth bomb on Star Wars The Mandalorian, whenever they speak something that is part of their code, they say, this is the way. Well, the kingdom of God is a way of preemptively saying, this is the way, and then telling you a story. In the kingdom of God in the parables, uh, Jesus is, in Matthew 13, does a successive amount of parables. I've got time today to go through about a quarter of one, but I'll go through one instead of all of them. And that is the treasure in the field. And this is the oldest passage I ever remember learning in the Bible, going to church in 76, because as soon as you talk about finding treasure, I was in. And the passage says this, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get money to buy the field. Smart guy. Oh. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered the pearl of great price, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And the point of this is the people who understand the kingdom do have an obsession. And I've talked to you before, and I won't go into the details now, I don't have time, but I do have clinical, like, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Unfortunately, it's not around errors of hygiene. I'm not obsessively working out. All these obsessive things that kind of maybe have some kind of benefit. My obsessive things are, around, like, the, understanding the whole history of Viewmaster Corporation, those little 3D reels, and how rare the Viewmaster reel of the Adams family that was done in color is. Uh, that's a weird thing. But 
I remember when I got captivated by the real Jesus. The real Jesus, not the TV Jesus, not the shame Jesus, not the Jesus where Christianity is reduced to an academic pursuit of knowing what your opinion should be on everything and winning arguments on it. I'm talking about the Jesus that a woman that could potentially be stoned to death because of being caught in adultery where Jesus, the Jesus who gets in front of the rocks in the person behind the stone. The Jesus when religious laws say you can't touch a leper and he gives him a hug to heal him. No long distance heal here. And his robe probably got the pus from the wounds. We're talking about the Jesus who stank based on the company he kept. And when you read the Jesus of the Gospels, not the American Jesus, but the ancient Near Eastern Palestinian Jesus who lives and reigns today, talk about, like, God said, I've got something for your obsession here, buddy. And I remember, like, every time I would feel like I'd learned some about the kingdom, I'd reread the Gospels and find something new. And to this day, I can never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without an aha moment. Because it's, it's, it's indescribable. That's why parables, people say, well, Jesus, when is your kingdom here? When is this? When is that? Jesus tells them a story. And I'm sure some of his literalist disciples are like, come on, can you just give us a straight answer? And Jesus is like, no. He says, I'm not here for people that want the checklist. I'm here for people that want to live a dynamic story. And it's like this. Because the great thing about stories is how many people do improv, have done improv acting before? Anyone here have done improv acting? Yes, 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 yes. Improv is yes and. You build off accepting part of a story and saying, and I'm going to live it out here. And the Holy Spirit is the ultimate empower of improv. The Holy Spirit saying, eat the story, sweat the story, till you got the stank of the story, you echo the story. Wouldn't it be great if all, everyone accused us of plagiarizing Jesus in our lives? Wouldn't that be great? And the thing is, that is a messy process. But the, the treasure in the field is, it's worth it. This is the thing where the dopamine... Guys, there is nothing greater than interacting with someone that at one point was suicidal that comes to the belief that their life is precious because Jesus says it's pre precious. Where they have actually some kind of mystical, emotional experience. You know, we, we just don't feel, we just don't think up here. We've got an enteric nervous system. And we also got this spiritual reality that most people in the world believe there's some transcendent spiritual reality, even if they think it's just the force or something. But when you have this experience of God's love, that says, you know, the reason I value human life, even though people are winning the Darwinistic game of success, why do you care for people that don't have clean water in a different country? Why do you care about the fact that... Uh, why do you get passionate about women who are going to be trafficked sexually because they were widows becoming coffee farmers and roasters in Tanzania? Why do you get passionate for the fact that there are people serving in the government of Cambodia, the central vineyard adopted into a family at Asia's Hope who are now influencing their country and even the corrupt leadership structures with the love of Jesus? Why? It doesn't have any bearing on this. In fact, if we really want to prosper financially as a nation, just start wars. And the economy skyrockets. There's, you know, the economy is great when we go to war. Waging peace is not necessarily the most profitable decision, but it is the most profit, prophetic decision. And you guys, we're all kind of micro shareholders 
in this, but we're just starting. Every day is the first day of the rest of our life together. Every day is the first day of the rest of our life together. And the pearl of great price, what, what do we sacrifice? Well, listen, first of all, I, I don't want to miss it financially. You know, there is a, I always, I call this the kingdom retirement portfolio. The kingdom retirement portfolio. You always want to invest in something that's going to be bigger than yourself. Invest in something that's bigger than yourself. And the joy of being able to, behind the scenes, like invest. And it can be so little. It can be a lot. But even, it's not limited to people of great financial resources because a lot of pennies equal a dollar. A lot of dollars equal a children's home and orphans being cared for. And let me tell you, like, Jesus valued the widow's two cents being dropped in because he realized the legion of the wimps, the wounded, the wimps, and those with the limps that God brings together on his sacred island of misfit toys is who God has used to overthrow every institution of slavery that has ever been overthrown in the world started with the legion of the wimps with the limps and those with the hemp, whatever. I can't ever get it right. All right, amen? And we're just starting. This isn't a shame thing. We're not trying to like do enough hard things where God approves of us. This spills out of the fact that God cheers us up. God cheers us on before gold is achieved. God is happy with you before you take the first step. It's not about that. It's fun doing Jesus-y things. You know, never trust a grumpy theologian. There are plenty of them. In particular, when my tradition came from evangelicalism, there's a lot of grumpy evangelicals. And evangelical means good, good news. Good news. It's like, how can you frown at good news? Come on, you know, oh, I can't believe the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I said, no, the world is a mustard seed growing into a tree that all the birds of the field, even the ones you don't like, are going to roost in its branches. The, the kingdom of God is better than you can imagine. The kingdom of God is like a treasure in the field. So friends, whatever, whatever capital you have to invest in prestige, social influence, your time, your talents, your finances, you know, especially as we're moving into kind of this new entrepreneurial fra uh, fra uh, phase in the church uh, kind of re-upping on this, there are ideas that you guys have, there are things already being dreamed about by some people, and even some people getting together and collaborating, that these are, these are treasures in fields waiting for you. And the one thing about the treasure, and I don't think this is a theological stretch, is according to God, every one of you is a treasure, because you're an image bearer of God. In one way, and this might be a stretch, but I think it, it harmonizes with other scripture, is Jesus gave everything to acquire you. In Jesus' eyes, you are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure in the field. And friends, God wants you to notice other treasures that are out there. So we are going to celebrate a treasure now. We're kind of remixing things a little bit. We want, we've got uh, the Jake and Sarah continuum here, which... Oh, gosh. And Adrian, we're going to do a child dedication, but here's how we're going to remix it here since uh, we're a little bit pressed for time. We celebrate the Jesus meal. We celebrate the Jesus meal every week. This communion, Eucharist, we come up, take the elements. Um, we're going to 
truncate it slightly today, but what I want to do is after you take the elements, Jake and Sarah, we're going to have you go over here, and we'll ask a significant amount of you after you take the elements to stay up and pray blessings on this precious family. Oh, so we're doing a debt of Eucharist. Oh, man. A dedication you Eucharist. Well, so does that sound good? Yes. It, me. Isn't my husband wonderful? Isn't he the best? Guys, come on up. Hey, we, we're just going to roll with it this morning, aren't we? Oh, you guys have your hands full, and I love it. It's just wonderful. Um, I'm so grateful that you guys are part of our family. So grateful. It, that just comes from the bottom of my heart. I just, I could cry. And look at how good the Lord is. The Lord is so good, right? Thank you, Father. Ah, you guys know this drill because you've done it with low. I mean, we did it in the blowing wind <laughs> that day on Sunday morning outside. Um, so we are this morning dedicating beautiful mills. His full name is Miller Keir Kaufman, this beautiful baby. Hi, sweetheart. Hi, sweetheart. He's like, I need to eat that microphone. Uh, <laughs> so wonderfully, miraculously, this is the community that you and your family have decided to commit to and to be a part of. And therefore, what we love to do is we read a scripture that is a really good example to us in, in the Jewish tradition. And, and then we ask that all of you as a congregation will commit to taking a part in these beautiful babies' lives. Because these guys, I grew up in the church, and I got to have adults who were really gentle with me and loved me, and I never became cynical about the church because a community always embraced me and loved me. And so that is what your role is, Central Vineyard, is to be gentle with these children and to be kind. And when they mess up or if they break something or if they pour coffee on you or if they do something, you love them and forgive them, right? And give them grace. That's our role. So I'm going to read. This is from Deuteronomy 6. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I see that in you too. You guys just love the Lord. It's awesome. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. What a doll baby. And when you lie down and when you get up. And the reason this passage is so important is because it instructs us on how we live. We do not live compartmentalized, right? Everything that we do is everywhere we go. Um, and I love that. And I know that that is the faith that you guys live. It's in your home. It's in your work. It's in your car. It's, it's everywhere. And um, I am... Implore you guys to continue in the way that you're going. Your trajectory is beautiful. Your children are beautiful. Congregation, I'm going to ask you guys, you beautiful people, do you commit, friends, to praying for Jake and Sarah? Do you commit to encouraging them? Do you commit to showing the kindness of Jesus to Lowe and Mills? If so, say yes. Yes. 
We love this family. We're so lucky we get to have each other. Thank you, Lord. Okay, awesome. And Jake and Sarah, I know that your answer is yes to this. Will you guys continue to serve your children, to apologize to them when you mess up, to comfort them, to spoil them with tons of touch and love and affection? Do you commit to telling them the stories of Jesus and living the story of Jesus? If so, say yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And your marriage can be a work in progress. That's okay. Marriages are works in progress. That is the way that we live. Our kids see us mess up. They see us apologize to one another. They see us grow, and that is the way that it works. And Lord, God, thank you for your grace. So I'm going to pray real quick for this beautiful family, and then... We're going to have Eucharist and prayer for the Kaufman-Kier beautiful family over here in this corner, okay? Um, Lord, you are good. All things, Father, are from your heart. Lord, allow us to give back, Father, what you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to keep an open hand, Father, with our children. They are yours, Lord. You've entrusted these beautiful souls for a time to us, Lord. And I pray for Jake and Sarah. Empower them. Encourage them. Strengthen them when they are weak, Lord. I just pray for the truth to crowd out any kind of lie in the precious name of Jesus. And Lord, we just cover these guys in your blood. And we just thank you, God, that you are enough. You're the one, Lord, who comes and helps us with our kiddos. Thank you, God. Um, We pray. We just thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for these beautiful babies. Thank you for the mom and dad. Um, And we pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Yay! So you guys are going to go over there, and people are going to come in to pray for you. And pray up. And uh, guys, uh, if everyone can stand, we're going to do the Eucharist, a little shorter version than normal. But I want to say this word is when children of Israel were enslaved to Egypt, they celebrated Passover as God told them to do. And that was, a, that was the, we're going to be free from slavery imminently meal. And then Jesus, the Jews always celebrate, said, we are the people of the Passover. We are the people of freedom. But they never really experienced true freedom until Jesus came and said, I am the Passover lamb. And he remixed Passover to say this. He, he gave thanks during Passover. And he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this remembrance of me. You know, after the supper, there's a lot of eating and a lot of drinking in Passover. He took the cup, held it up. Everyone had taken a lot of swigs of this cup, but he made the cup something different. He says, this cup is new covenant or the new paradigm or the new deal or this government this cup is the portal to a new universe of living is my blood spilled for you i'm not the tribal deity that says you sacrifice your firstborn to me i'm the one that laid down my life for you this all the implications of the cup are just you can never even get close to it it's ineffable in so many ways jesus said drink this every time you drink it remembers me and apostle paul said by the way church do this all the time until jesus comes back so this is our attempt at that so we're going to sing a song of confession but i want to caution you 
if you can't sing and believe the first word, be very careful. You can't believe the second unless you're willing to believe the first word. The first phrase is most merciful God. Because without the mercy of God, we can't talk about our failures, shortcomings, and brokenness. But if we do believe in a merciful God, we can smile while talking about those things. So we're going to sing this psalm as you're coming up to receive the cup and the bread. And I encourage you to egress over the play, to pray for the, the, the Kira Kaufman continuum there. Also, especially want to introduce my new friend, Helen. Helen back there. Helen just moved to the Franklinton area and brand new to Columbus. And you guys could exchange numbers, do coffee, and get to know Helen. You'll be blessed. Tim and I have been friends for about 30 years. So God bless you. So Father God, we pray your real presence over these elements to nourish our souls and take us out to be 